Um, I'm quitting my job. I just booked a flight to Mexico. My truck was totaled and I am taking some of the money that I'm getting from insurance and using it as a cushion to figure out what I really want to do. Wow, I love this. I when I ask generally like what's going on in your day just to sound check, I get really boring answers and my answer would be really boring. But this is a great answer. Cool. I'm glad that I can offer some unpredictability. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's funny because you know, I I didn't know a lot about you going into all of this, but I upon like working on your story I started to feel like oh I know this person you know so I, I feel like now we know each other but then I hear this story and I'm like is your whole <laughs> life like autumn tides like is, is everything <laughs> dramatic <laughs> it is kind of that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out like am I the chaos <laughs> That's Sarah Chase Fountain. If you read the bio on her Medium page, which is a place you're going to want to go after you hear this episode, it says, I have no filter and lots of emotions. Sometimes I combine the two and end up with a couple cohesive sentences. That's putting it really, really mildly. I recently had the opportunity to score and sound design a three-part series that Sarah wrote called Autumn Tides. And this conversation that you're about to hear, followed by a couple of parts of Autumn Tides, is Sarah and I talking for the first time and discussing what it was like to write, to hear, to sound design, to score, um, to bring this peace to life. Let's jump into talking about Autumn Tides because I, when I first heard it, and I only, I heard it one part at a time, so I was blown away at part one just to how vulnerable the, the storytelling was. First off, it's written beautifully, and then there's this vulnerability piece that I don't often get in the outdoor industry mm. what was it like for you to to write something that vulnerable and feel okay putting it out there is that something you've done a lot of or is this an, a new thing I have done it before and it is typically through the medium of writing it was different to have this experience where you and Nature Untold turned it into this cinematic masterpiece, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But I have been vulnerable on a larger platform before. And typically, every single time I experience sharer's remorse after I do it, mm. I put it out and then I just cringe. And I think I cannot believe I just did that or put that into the world on the internet where nothing dies. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then what ends up happening is I hear words and feedback along the lines of what you just said to me, or I'll hear someone say, Hey, thank you so much for sharing this. I've had a similar experience or what you said helped me be more vulnerable and open up about something that I've been keeping inside. And that's when it's just all worth it. And all of the remorse melts away and 
I just think, okay, this is kind of a calling and this is something that I need to keep doing. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm probably, I want to pursue that more in my life. Like that feeling of connection that I mm. could sort of establish through the written word. It seems, it seems important. <laughs> Do you still, you still get the sharer's remorse, even though you've gotten that feedback in the past? Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, <laughs> I I totally understand what you're talking about because I've been really vulnerable in my music and in my podcasts and and initially early on I also felt that sort of remorse putting it out mm -hmm. there. Um, but nowadays I think I've gotten really good at just letting go of it. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to make this thing. I'm putting it out there for me. What happens to it now? is up to whoever's receiving it, you know? That's very and, promising. And I've just let it out there. And it, mm -hmm. for me, it's, you know, maybe it's not therapy, but it feels like that to me. It feels like a form of yeah. therapy, releasing these things into the world. Absolutely. Yeah, this, the cathartic release. There is something very cathartic, I think. One, in writing it. Two, in going back and reading it, because sometimes at the end of writing something, I look back and I think, oh, that's what I was processing. And I didn't even know mm -hmm. it until I'm done with a certain project. Um, and then, you know, the third part that's very cathartic is is hearing what other how other people respond to it. And I think that because I've been, I typically have these urges to write something when huge things happen. And I think if I do have more consistency like you, where it's on the regular uh, maybe and hopefully that feeling of remorse will go away the more i uh yeah just make it part of the fabric <laughs> yeah and i there's still a fear like i'm still scared to put things out there sometimes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i think once i do it i've i've been able to unclip from it and and feel free of it mm. which i think is a really great feeling at least for me it is yeah but still, still very scary. And in fact, when I was working on Autumn Tides, um, even the first one, which is maybe the, the least, maybe it's not the least vulnerable of the three, but for me, it was the least surprising of the three. It just got like, the story got more and more wild as it went. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And working on the first one, I went into it thinking about it like I do any other project that I'm sound designing or adding music to or whatever. And about halfway through that process, I was like, what is this person going to think when they hear this? Like, hmm. it's one thing to write it and, and put it out there. It's another thing to then have to listen back to it with with music and sound design, scoring it. And I'm trying to bring it to life in some way. Like I, I'm not trying to be really literal about bringing it to life. Like I'm not, I don't want to make all the sounds that are happening in it, but, but I want to work with the emotional moments in the piece and whether it's music or specific sound effects or whatever to just heighten that emotion a little bit. So yeah. I got really worried, like, really? what is this person going to think? And I'm really curious to know what your response to hearing it was the first time. Yeah, I, 
as someone who calls herself a writer, I actually can't even find the words to express how incredible it was to hear what you and Emily Holland did with Emily's narration and with your music and the scoring and the sounds of the pen scribbling on paper and the sound of the, the, my Jeep starting and even your impersonation of my boss, it still gives me chills. And I think that hearing it come to life, cause that's exactly how I described it to people. When I said, you have to listen to this. I said, they brought it to life. Um, and, and you made it an experience and it represented for me something much bigger than just, Oh, my, my writing has been turned into, um, kind of a new channel. You know, it went from mm. paper to digital, like to audio. And again, I mean, I, th- it makes me feel more aligned with my, with my purpose. And that was really exciting. So I don't know if I did a good job of describing what it felt like to hear it, but it, it truly blew me away. Um, I've listened to a million podcasts before, but I've never kind of had this. Um, I, I think I was expecting an audible book experience. And that's what I didn't want to do, <laughs> especially after listening to it. I think like I, I do lots of podcasts that um, are me doing a monologue or um, that's not really vulnerable. And those are really easy to score. Like I just try to match the mood with the music and and its background. But I think in yours, I pretty immediately was like, this can't be just background music. Mm. Um, There has to be an emotional quality. There have to be building moments because of the way it's written. There have to be lulls because of the way it's written you know lull is a really weird word to say out loud (laughs) i never realized that until i just said it it sounds like lol with an accent exactly (laughs) but but there had it had to fit the emotion of the piece because the emotion is so palpable in the writing and it's a scenario that most of us never experience so it feels like this like it feels like we're watching a movie, but we're also listening to our friend tell us about their experience having this thing happen to them, being a part of this thing that's happening in such a wild way that I, I felt like I had to do it justice. So I was partly nervous about like your reaction to hearing these things come to life and partly nervous about like, did I do this justice because the writing is so good? Oh, I really appreciate that. I, I, some of the feedback that I heard from my friends was that they were so immersed in the story because of how you brought it to life and how you made it almost cinematic. They were so immersed in it that at times they forgot that they were reading about me. And mm. then at, at one point I mentioned my dog, Avit. And a few people said when when I bring up Avit's name, they kind of were they were brought back to the realization that holy shit, this is Sarah. You know, this is Sarah waking up on this on this floor in the middle of Northern California on a gray morning without gas in the generator and <laughs> walking into the flames of a wildfire. Wow, it's that's very cool to hear. Um, I'll just give you like the a, a brief 
how we did it that I, I think could be interesting to people. Um, you know, you wrote the piece, gave it to Emily. Mm-hmm. Emily narrated it and then sent me her vocals. And And while I was going through it, I would give Emily feedback and say, hey, can you redo this part? You know, mm-hmm. I want to hear... I want to hear you be more pensive when you're reading this part. And after the first one, she nailed the second one and third one um, with only a couple little edits. Mm. Um, once she got into that feeling as well, so so it was really interesting to to be taking something that one person wrote, another person is narrating, another person is adding sound and music to. And try to turn it into this thing that that feels like the experience of one person. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad that it came off that way to your friends. That it was a yeah. that it felt a little more immersive than than it might have if they were just reading it or or just listening to uh, a random story somewhere. Yeah. Some people asked if I was the one narrating and I said, absolutely not. I could never do that. The way it, the way Emily reads is so beautiful to me. And it's, it's almost like, um, a skill set of an actor or an actress, just the way Mm -hmm. her inflection is and the way she paused. And I feel so silly reading out loud. So I think that comes across when I try it, but yeah, what you, you guys are dream team. (laughs) <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned earlier that me doing the voice of your boss, um, you brought that up. And that was one of the really nerve-wracking moments for me. Hmm. Like, do, do I bring this voice in or do I leave it the narrator telling the story? Like, right. what happens when I do that? Am I, am I bringing you out of the, the narrator telling the story? Is it going to be too strange to bring in this new voice all of a sudden? Um, and for you, what happens if my voice is close to his? It, it, does that, like, <laughs> is that a trigger? It was and, trippy for sure. <laughs> and what's going to happen when she hears that? So mm-hmm. I'm glad it wasn't a bad experience. That's what I was really nervous about. There was some shock for sure, because even I was so engrossed in this experience because what it looked like on my end was, okay, the podcast is ready and now you can listen to it, which was great. And as I'm listening to it, yeah, it was, it, it felt like a more intense connection that I had even writing it, I guess. And so when you when you imitated my boss, I yeah, it was shocking because I did think for a second, holy shit, is that him? <laughs> I was like, wow. did I send an audio of of the farm? How did that happen? It was it was incredible. As a writer, do you collaborate with people often? No, actually, and I. I have gotten better at sharing my writing before I publish it. Um, and that's the closest to collaboration I, I've, I've gotten, but I, I do have some friends who have said, Hey, this could be a screenplay. They mm. work in Hollywood. They said they're ready for it. But for me, I, I know that it has to be a book first. Yeah. It yeah. definitely needs to be a book. Yeah. 
we certainly need more of this story. Um, collaboration, I think, is a fascinating thing. I, it's one of my absolute favorite things to do. And I've really leaned into it these last five or six years, um, trying to collaborate with people who who maybe don't fit um, that you from the outside you wouldn't think oh this fits mm -hmm. uh, that these two people are working together, um, and I'm just finding so much joy in the the like discomfort of collaborating with someone because they're going to get to critique everything I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, I want to live up to what they're making, you know? Um, right. I think it's such a, such an interesting experience for an artist, a maker, a creator to, to work with other people. Mm -hmm. And I felt really honored to, to get to work on this and then to have you, share it and be excited about the way that it came out felt even better. I was really honored too. I, I didn't know that it was going to take off the way it did and that motivated me and surprised me and kind of gave me some, some fuel to keep going. And I think the one, the thing that I gained from this collaboration, in addition to all of that, is also just the accountability. I, mm -hmm. <laughs> when Emily asked me how many series, how many parts will be in this series, I kind of just threw out a number and I said, because uh, I wasn't done yet. I said, I don't know, three, four. And then we went with that and it, and it forced me to finish it, which can be a huge problem for me. And so yeah. it's like, and honestly, that's how climbing is for me too, the accountability of having to show up for your partner. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, yeah, collaboration is, is great and I should do more of it. My grandfather used to call it throwing your hat over the fence that if you want to climb a fence, but you're scared to, or, you know, you may never get around to it, throw your hat over the fence and then you have to climb it. Oh, I like that um, a lot. So that's the the phrase I've always used for it. And that's that's one of the reasons I collaborate is I mm -hmm. want to make a thing. I, I, I'm going to find a way to hold myself accountable. And that often becomes bringing other people into it, whether it's putting my goals out there in public and then I feel accountable to the people who are following me, um, mm -hmm. listening to me. Uh, or working with a collaborator and then I feel accountable to them to, to finish my part of this thing and to do a good job at it. Yeah. So, You've got other people's reputation on the line at that point. And I can often care way more about other people than I can about myself or I'll go to the ends of the earth for someone. Mm -hmm. But if it's, if it's me, I'll take two steps and then go back. Yeah. And I think your story exhibits that really well that you you can often care about other people and and what's going on and maybe not care as much about what's going on for yourself right but i'm glad you do come around to it eventually in this story um i'm looking forward to the book so uh, i'm gonna need to to have you 
just assume that I'm holding you accountable at this point for writing that book. I appreciate that. And then I will hold you and Emily accountable for doing your magic (laughs) when the book is done. Sarah, thank you. And thank you for writing this. I think there needs to be more more of this kind of vulnerable expression out there in the world. And I feel like a lot of us get hung up on we have to be telling the stories of our climbing and our successes and these rad things we're doing outdoors because that's what the people who are paying attention want to hear. But in reality, all of the people paying attention are real people and having struggles and real lives outside of the rad things they do in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to share these kinds of stories as well. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you. I talked with Emily, and because this story is so good and so compelling, we've actually decided to put both parts one and part two right here in this episode. And immediately after, you should go listen to part three, which is on the Nature Untold podcast feed, uh, another of the podcasts here in the Plug Tone Audio Collective. We'll have links to that right there in your show notes. And you'll also find uh, where you can listen to Sarah's full interview on Nature Untold to learn more about her and you can find a link to her Medium page and read more of her writing as well. And please, if, like I do, you think that vulnerable storytelling like this in the outdoor industry is really important, then share this with your friends. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps to get this out to more people. All right, Autumn Tides, written, by Sarah Chase Fountain, narrated by Emily Holland, scored, sound designed, and edited by myself. I'm Chris Hampton. You're listening to Plug Tone Outdoors. Someone once told me that sea levels in the Atlantic are higher in the early fall due to warmer, expanding ocean water. Growing up on an estuary in the Northeast, I had a front row seat to the drama. Some days I'd look out the kitchen window and the saline tide would be over the lip of our dilapidated dock, murkily threatening to drown the lawn. Then out it go again, occasionally leaving sun-bleached buoys and broken surfboards behind. I think a lot about the debris that got stuck in the tangled marsh grass or wrapped around rotting dock pilings. It never occurred to me to dislodge it myself. The rubble was part of the landscape, a romantic ode to wreckage, waiting to be released with the next wave. The estuary taught me how to witness the seasons change and observe marine ecosystems, but it also showed me what it means to get stuck, let go, and above all, that autumn is a time for tides to come and change everything. It 
It was mid-November of 2012 when I woke up on a plywood floor covered in weed dust and dirt in the hills of Northern California. The shed where I'd spent the night had previously been used to sort hundreds of pounds of marijuana for sellers to take east, but the workers had long since left for the season. Everything in my body was itching or aching. I rolled over on my hands and knees, crawled to the shed's door, and retched. It was cold and I was dehydrated and shivering. Making my way to the generator, I prayed for there to be gas so I could turn on the heater. Sputtering clicks let me know it was dead. I lay there in the stillness of the gray morning, imagining a bird's eye view of the broken shell I'd become. After a few hours, the vomiting subsided. I got in my Jeep and drove down the bumpy, washed-out dirt road toward town for gas and supplies. There had been a storm the night before, and I had to get out several times to clear down lichen-coated limbs that broke under the weight of the turbulence. Gate separated the mountain I lived on to protect the pot farms from thieves or law enforcement. I could never decide which was more concerning. Reaching the first gate and stepping out of my Jeep, Something shiny caught my eye. I could barely believe what I was looking at. Battered and bent, it was the gold bangle bracelet my mom had gotten as a wedding gift and then passed down to me. I brought it to the farm a few years prior with a few other select cherished items that should not have been on the illegal compound. The bracelet and myself had been lost for quite some time. Tracing my finger along the bumpy ridges of the bangle, I noticed it had retained most of its shape, despite being run over countless times. I slipped it on my wrist when my track phone rang. My boss told me he'd figured out how I could stay and work throughout the winter, an opportunity that had been waiting in the wings. As he paused for me to express my excitement, I thought about my morning, murky, low, and washed up. I need to go home for a while, I replied without thinking twice. Something dislodged on that fall morning and collided with an intuitive moment. I packed a few belongings and assured my boss I'd be back to plant in the spring. But I'd never return to the pot farm again. The tides had shifted, and I began my road to recovery. Critters and creatures would find their way into our estuary during big storms. The relief was palpable upon entry to the marsh's mouth. Egrets and blue herons would sink into the haven of soft golden seagrass in calm waters for the storm's duration. 
The sinuous inlets carved by giant glaciers at the end of the last ice age provided nooks and knolls of peace. I suppose I was doing what the birds taught me when I decided to go home, return to the nest, seek safety. After years in danger, that was all I wanted. It's almost amusing to look at the peril I was living in. The pot world hadn't been a safe space from the get-go, but the danger didn't faze me for quite some time. There was a short orientation upon my arrival on the first farm in 2010 that covered three things. One, what color helicopters belonged to the federal agents? Black. Two, where to put a dead body should the problem arise at the end of the ranch road? And three, why we weren't allowed to talk to boys? There was no fraternizing. Hearing the rules give me pause, but no real reconsideration. I'm not sure why. Maybe because a guy had smashed my heart and the no boys part sounded great. Maybe because I had not yet learned that the hill I lived on had been dubbed Murder Mountain. Sure, the helicopter thing got me thinking, but I had just graduated college and was running nine miles a day, so I figured I had a substantial advantage if I had to escape. No, it wasn't until 2012, the day of the fire, on a different farm, with a different boss, that I felt real fear. It was around 2 a.m. when my track phone chirped. I was still awake with the usual suspects, blowing lines of cocaine, drinking whiskey straight from the bottle, and feeling important as we talked about the price of marijuana plummeting, which areas of town were on the Fed's radar, and what to do about both. Looking at my phone, I took in the message. Your wonderland is gonna burn, it read. I interrupted the group to tell them about the threat from Trevor, we'll call him. Trevor was a former grower who felt he'd been wronged and robbed by all of us. His sentiments were the exact breed of resentment that gave Murder Mountain its name. He blew a few more lines, chatted about whether or not the threat was real, and ultimately decided he would never. A few hours later, I opened my eyes to darkness in my 200-square-foot, ice-cold shed. My mornings never felt like waking up so much as coming to. At some point, the coke would wear off enough, the booze would kick in enough, and my mind would settle enough for a few hours of synthetic recharging. I did a body scan as I pulled myself from bed after three disjointed hours of sleep. My thick, blonde-at-the-time pigtails were messy but still intact from the night before, so I left them, pulling a beanie over for the sake of containment. My head was pounding as I reluctantly forced my legs into the stiff frigidness of my black skinny jeans. I found my chunky wool socks and shoved them in my Danner boots, not bothering to tie the laces. Pulling my boss's extra-large Carhartt sweatshirt over my head, I took a moment to appreciate his scent, still lingering in the pores of the fabric. I 
After fixing a few water lines in the patch closest to mine, I got into my Jeep to visit the remaining three areas I was growing. Hundreds of plants were in my care, and I cared for them more than I cared for my own life. The steady blast of heat slowly forced the cold morning air out of the car, and my mind landed on my boss. I hazily swooned over the thought of seeing him again. Sleeping with him was complicated. Somewhat because he was recently divorced, a little bit because he was 15 years older, but primarily because we were two addicts and alcoholics, completely in love without any way forward. Getting to the gate where I would find a bangle bracelet one month later, I paused, smelling smoke through my drug-caked, congested, and damaged nostrils. That's curious, I thought, getting back in and driving a little further. I popped out of the trees to the crest of the first hill, and my blood turned cold. Billowing smoke reached into the sky, heading into the direction of the patch where my boss and I had our plants. Trevor's words reverberated inside the walls of my head. Your wonderland's gonna burn. Picking up my phone, urging my hands to stop shaking, and cursing myself for being so hungover, I called my boss. He picked up after four excruciatingly long rings. Hey, I said calmly, staring at the plume of smoke coming my way. Um, fire. There was a long pause on his end, then. Can you put it out with a pickle barrel? Pickle barrels were giant red, 55-gallon buckets where we'd store weed or mixed fertilizer. I was preparing to let him down gently when I gasped. Flames licked the top of the hill. Fuck, no, it just crested, I said, feeling my heart race faster. I heard his motorcycle rev almost instantly, and he yelled over the noise of the engine. Walk towards it. See how much time we have to get to the patch. We'll have to do an emergency harvest, he explained. There was an out-of-body experience as I saw my 25-year-old self shuffling giant boots down a dirt road, blonde pigtails into a wall of flames.
Thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about Nature Untold at our website, natureuntoldcollective.com, or follow along on Instagram at Nature Untold Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share it with the people in your life. And if you want to support the show, please leave us a review. It helps more people like you find us. Thanks for being here. Catch you next time.